Every believer, every true believer, when he or she commits his life or her life to Christ, is immersed, baptized into the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a believer who does not have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 and through 11 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Let me say that again. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So the Spirit of God dwells in those who belong to Christ. As a matter of fact, the Spirit is involved in all aspects of your salvation, of your conversion. The Spirit's involved in the awakening, the, the regenerating of your heart. The Spirit is what gives you new life. It raises you from the dead. According to John 3, 5, we must be born of the Spirit. So this, this new birth, this born-again experience that believers are to have is a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And the Spirit applies the finished work of Christ to our life, sanctifying us, residing in our hearts as a guarantee that we belong to the Father. And you can read about that guarantee or that seal. And we read, we read about it already in Ephesians 1.13, but also 2 Corinthians 1.22 and 5.5. 5. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a separate work that happens to you after conversion, but a vital work that is part and parcel with conversion and cannot be separated from it. Matter of fact, conversion cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3, 24 says, And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink one Spirit. Thus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that original or initial work of God that happens to us at conversion. But what is the filling of the Holy Spirit that we read of in a few different places in the Scriptures? Well, that's the ongoing. If, the, if, if baptism in the Holy Spirit is the initial work of the Spirit, filling with the Holy Spirit is the ongoing work of the Spirit in the lives of believers. Baptism is the Spirit birthing us, Filling is the work of the Spirit growing us. Baptism happens, baptism of the Holy Spirit happens once at rebirth or conversion. Filling happens over and over and over again as we live the Christian life. Baptism is the initial work. Filling is the continual work. Baptism, therefore, if you want to attach it to a, to a theological category, baptism, therefore, in the Spirit is associated theologically with justification or regeneration, whereas Filling of the Holy Spirit is associated with our sanctification, our becoming more like Christ, our growth in holiness. All throughout Acts, we see the apostles and others being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the boldness that the early church had to speak in the midst of persecution came from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 11.24 refers to Barnabas as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. 
We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning it is something we are to pursue. It is something that we are to work at. It is something we are to aim for. So we are to be working toward being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think we do that very much. But we should be aiming for, excuse me, and if someone could get me a glass of water, that would help this morning. We should be aiming for and desiring a filling of the Holy Spirit. Fresh move of the Spirit on our hearts and in our lives all the time. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not urged upon us. It happens to us at conversion. But filling, okay, which involves yielding ourselves to the Spirit, is something that is urged upon us right here in this passage. We are to go after that. We don't just sit back, this Christian life, sit back and do nothing and say, well, well, the Spirit's at work. The Scripture never speaks of the Spirit working in such a way where it eviscerates our responsibility to actively pursue holiness and the infilling of God's Spirit. Okay, it's also possible for Christians to act foolishly and the opposite of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is to grieve the Holy Spirit or to resist the Holy Spirit or to even quench the Holy Spirit. But being filled is an act of submission and yielding oneself to the move of the Spirit. Now, uh, I came across a really good illustration to illustrate what, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit that I found that G. Campbell Morgan had written. He said, we know that we cannot control the Spirit. Okay, that's important. We, we cannot control this. The Holy Spirit is not like the force. Okay, if, if you watch Star Wars, for the geeks that are geeks like me, okay, you remember Luke, he had the little, the little ball that was going around, the remote thing, and he's trying to block the, the shots with the lightsaber. And, and Obi-Wan says, says, you know, reach out or something. And, and he says, so, so it controls my actions? And he says, no, no. He says, partially, but it also obeys your commands. That's what the force was. And we were really foolish if we... Thank you so much, Abby. We're really foolish and we are mistaking the understanding of the Scripture if we think that the Spirit is some sort of force that we can manipulate or control or to make things happen with. Like it obeys our commands. That's not at all what the Holy Spirit is. So G. Campbell Morgan, back to his illustration here, he says, we cannot control the Spirit any more than we can control the wind. But... Like a sailor at sea, we can set our sails to catch the Spirit's wind when he blows. I love that illustration. We cannot control the Spirit any more than we can control the wind blowing outside right now. But as believers, we can set our sails and catch the wind and move along with the wind and let God's Spirit drive us in the direction he wants us to go. This means that God has given us, I believe that God has given us means by which we can set our sails and be filled with the Spirit. And I believe those means, according to the Scripture, are primarily prayer and meditation upon the Word of God. Prayer and meditation upon the Word of God is the way that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? If we want to be controlled by the Spirit, if we want to have our sails set, if we really want to understand the Spirit's leading and want to yield to the Spirit and let Him guide us where He wants us to go, That involves much prayer and much reading of, listening to, studying of, memorizing of, thus meditating upon this book. If we're going to understand how the Spirit wants us to live, just like last week, I talked about us understanding God's will. There's something hardwired in humans where we want to go beyond what God has given us to do, which is so simple, 
and come up with something much more mystical. Following God's will is something about a feeling or a, a gut, right? What does Steve Jobs say? It's your gut or something. And following God's will is all about our gut feeling and, and emotions. And I think we should do the same thing without being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're looking for some sort of emotional experience that says, oh, this is what the Spirit's leading you to do. When God has given us His means, His means are that we prayerfully spend a lot of time in this book right here. If we want to know what God's will is, and if we want to know what His Spirit is leading us to do, it does not happen apart from this, this, this book. This book is our sail. That we rise up, we lift up this sail, and the Holy Spirit leads us through His Word. The Spirit is the author of the Bible. It is later called the sword, of, the, the sword of the Spirit in this very book that we're reading here. First Peter, I mean, 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy, and he's speaking here of the prophecies of Scripture. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by what? The Holy Spirit. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, this book was given to us. Therefore, how is the Spirit primarily going to speak to us and lead us and guide us? And how are we going to be filled with that Spirit? It shouldn't it be through the means that He has devised? This book that He has inspired? Absolutely. This is the primary means by which we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like I said earlier, is a person, not some mystical force to be manipulated. Therefore, He is God, and we are to relate with Him. We are to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit through prayer and through the Word. The Spirit enables us to understand the Word. Okay, without the Holy Spirit, this is just foolishness. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is foolishness apart from the Holy Spirit's work to help us understand it. So we pray for understanding. We seek the Spirit's guidance. We yield to His Word, and we meditate upon His clear Word so that we can grasp what the Spirit is telling us to do, how the Spirit is leading us. I know of no other way, my friends, to be filled with the Holy Spirit apart from the Word of God and prayer. At least no other biblical way. The Word of God and prayer. All Scripture, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Yours translation may say, inspired by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We are given by the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. We are equipped to do things for God's glory. And here, according to 2 Timothy, the, the means that that happens, through which that happens, is the Word of God. When it says the Word of God is breathed out, the Scripture is breathed out, okay, Theonustos. Okay, if you know what that pneuma is, the word pneuma is the word for spirit, used for spirit in the scriptures. It also can mean wind. So figuratively speaking, okay, we think about the, 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 there's this wind and the Holy Spirit is, is compared to the wind. And so as this word of God is breathed out, winded out, inspired out, it is done so by the Spirit of God. Now, what example in this text, or in this case, does Paul use to help us understand spirit filling? Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He contrasts it with drunkenness. 
In order to help us understand what being filled with the Spirit is all about, he contrasts it with drunkenness. Now, this is not going to be a sermon about drinking. I don't think that's where Paul's going in this text. He's not, he's not focusing on drinking. He's focusing on the Holy Spirit. The Scripture is crystal clear, though, that it's sinful to be drunk. You know, here Paul tells us that drunkenness is debauchery. Debauchery means overindulgence, excess, riotous living. So clearly, drunkenness is sinful, and we see drunkenness condemned here in various places in Scripture. Drinking, on the other hand, is not necessarily a sin. However, it can be. If it's a violation of your conscience, if it's causing someone else to stumble, if you have past addictions, there are many reasons that drinking could be a sin. But I'm not going to hang out here and talk about drinking this morning because I don't think it's Paul's main focus to this text He draws our attention to drunkenness to help us understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He does so mainly by contrasting, but he also, as an antithesis, if you will. Okay, but there's also one one way that that it's similar. There's only one way that being drunk and being filled with the Spirit is similar, and that's simply that we are under in the influence. If you are drunk, then you are under the influence of alcohol, and if you're filled with the Spirit, then you are under the influence of the Spirit. That's why I called today's um, uh, message, Walking Under the Influence. Of course, I want you to be walking under the influence of the Spirit, not walking under any other influence, alcohol included. And so, Paul here wants us to see a contrast. Like I said, there's only one similarity, this under the influence. But a drunk person loses self-control and all restraint and is therefore given over to sinful living. But a spirit-filled person is self-controlled and sober-minded and submits himself to holy living. The irony is that the world wants you to believe that, you know what, go do whatever you want to do. You have the freedom to go drink and get drunk. And they believe there's freedom in that. That there's freedom in drinking. Drinking, there's no freedom in drinking. It's, It's bondage. It's the exact opposite of the freedom that the world tells us it is. It's a loss of self-control. You're not more of a person because you get drunk. You're less of a person when you get drunk. You've lost something about human ability. You've lost your self-control. Spirit-filled living is true freedom. And it's a gaining of self-control. Now there are some, I don't want to hang out here too long either. There are some in the Christian world today who equate spirit-fillingness, being spirit-filled with literal drunkenness. You can find churches that have what they call Holy Ghost designated drivers because their belief is that you actually lose control when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you go into some sort of ecstatic experience, slain in the Spirit, jerks, whatever it might be. You're spiritually inebriated. That is not, I want to say, that is not consistent with the Scriptures. Paul is drawing a contrast here. He's not saying that being filled with the Spirit is just like being drunk. He's saying there's a difference here. It's not consistent with Scripture. The person who who walks in the vigilant walk of wisdom, as I I put on our last point here, is self-controlled in all things by submitting himself to the control of God's Spirit. The mark of being Spirit-filled, one of the fruit of being Spirit-filled is self-control. It's not losing control. It's not going nuts. It's not walking around talking like an animal. Believe it or not, there are churches where people who supposedly are filled with the Spirit, they walk around and bark like animals. Okay? That, that does happen in the, in the 
Christian realm, you, you have to ask yourself sometimes, at, at what extreme can some churches go and still be called Christian? But there's weird things that go on, and it's, it's, it's a loss of control, and that's promoted. That is promoted. You should lose control when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible does not promote a loss of self-control when you're Holy Spirit. Instead, God says His Word, not mine, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Loss of control is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of something else. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Sober-mindedness and self-control come from the continual submission to the Spirit of God. And that is what Paul is aiming for us here in this text. The abuse of alcohol here serves as an antithesis to the living that Paul calls us to. It also allows Paul to continue his contrast between the way the Gentiles lived and the way the pagans lived. Now, I already mentioned that in Ephesus there was this worship of the goddess Diana and this temple. And a lot of what went along with the worship of the goddess Diana was, was some pretty perverse sexual practices. And what went along with those perverse sexual practices was drunkenness. They participated in the perverse sexual practices and part of that participation was to be drunk. And we see it in our world today. People don't call it the goddess Diana. They call it something else. But it's the same mixture of pagan, flesh-driven worship of false gods. So in this setting in Ephesus, when Paul here mentions not being drunk with wine, it drives home even harder the difference that there is between, to be between God's people, who are to dress differently, than the world, than the Gentiles. Let me just add a note here that I heard um, as I was listening to another message on this text by um, Tullian Tavigian, and I do not know if I'm pronouncing Tullian's last name right or not, but he's got a, just a, a really weird last name. I just call him Billy Graham's grandson, okay, because that's who he is. But uh, he's the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, <coughs> and he said this. He said um, that alcohol, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, has a dehumanizing effect. When we're under the influence of alcohol, we are less human. Think about some of the things people do when they're under the influence. Crazy things. Foolish things. We don't act more human. We act more like animals. We act more like crazy animals acting by instinct, acting on uh, whatever feels good. And, and we lose control. We're less human when we are under the influence of alcohol. Conversely, when we are under the influence of the Spirit, we are more human. Because we're more like Christ. And Christ is the most perfect example of humanity that we have to follow. And, and Christ was always in control. And so, being filled with the Spirit actually makes us more human. More the way we were created to be. That's why I don't believe that being filled with the Spirit involves some of these other things. Because so when I see people barking like animals after being quote-unquote filled with the Spirit, or other sorts of things that that seem to mirror more pagan idolatry and pagan practices and, 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 and things that mirror drunkenness, which have no part in the church of God, then, then that cannot be what Paul means by being filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it doesn't match up. 
That's not more human, that's less human. Being filled with the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ. So let's return to Paul's argument here. He's been challenging us to walk in love. He's been challenging us to walk in light. Now he's challenging us to walk in wisdom. He's told us to do so by making the best use of our time, by discerning what God's will is, and now being filled with his Holy Spirit. And Spirit-filled living manifests itself in four ways in this text here. There's four ways that Paul shows us that the Spirit-filled living manifests itself. Or I could say, walking under the influence is manifested in four ways here in this text. And I'm going to go ahead and give you all four of them so you can fill in your blanks. So here's the clue, as you can tell, because it's already almost 1030 I'm not going to get to all four of these today. I'm not going to. I'm just going to get to number one today, and we'll hit the other three next week. But I want you to go ahead and have all the points. They're really clear in the text. Okay, it's just right there for us to see. But I want you to have them right now, and then we will dig into this first one and come back to the text next week. And I had this grand idea of getting through Ephesians in the summer and starting Acts back in August or late August. No way. All right, so it's still, I don't know how much longer we're going to be in Ephesians, but I'm loving it. I love the book of Ephesians, and let's just hang out here as long as God keeps us here. The first thing that I, that I believe that Paul is teaching us here in regards to what does it mean, what does it look like if you are a Spirit-filled Christian? If you are a person who's under the influence of the Spirit, what does it look like? Number one, it generates Christ-exalting fellowship. Verse 19. Splash water all over my face. Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay, so that's the first point. The other ones follow. But the first one is just that first part of verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Addressing one another. So let's begin to think today, okay, about this application of spirit for living. Paul immediately drives us to the church again. Lest we begin to think, because we've been going through application, lest we begin to think this is all individual, it's just all about us as these separate little individual Christians applying this theology from Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul says no. He brings us right back here to the body of believers. He says addressing one another, the church. Sanctification, growth in the Spirit, filling with the Spirit is something that happens in community and fosters genuine fellowship. Christians here singing to one another about God. That's what Christian fellowship is marked by. Believers commending God to one another. That's what this is all about. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When you get to this text, you think, wait a second here. Aren't we supposed to sing to God? Isn't that what church is all about? We come here and we sing to God. Paul tells us, to actually address one another with the songs we sing. How interesting is that? In other words, the singing of songs together actually helps edify, strengthen the church as we commend God to one another. Advertisers spend a whole lot of money and buy up a whole lot of airtime to commend products to you. Okay? They even get celebrities to commend a product. I saw a commercial just recently, of some famous celebrity driving a car. It's like, 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 because that person drives this car, all of a sudden it's going to make you want to do it. I, I don't quite get that, this whole celebrity factor. But I understand advertising, because I used to be in advertising. And so the goal is to, 
convince you of the greatness of this product and commend it to you. And so what do they use in commercials? They use jingles sometimes, don't they? And all sorts of different methods to get you to like this product. And you walk around and you sing the jingles. You don't mean to, but it's there. It gets in your mind. And you're like, oh, man, I hate this song. Why is it in my head? But that product is there, isn't it? The product is stuck there. Because the advertisers have accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. They have commended the product to you, and it's stuck in your head. And so I want us to think about our task in the church, which is of infinitely greater value, obviously, than commending silly products to one another. I want us to think about our role in the church as living infomercials about our God and what he's done for us and through us by the power of the gospel. And if we're filled with the Spirit, this type of thing should be happening. Matter of fact, it's the Holy Spirit's main role the main function of the Holy Spirit is to commend the Son. Is to commend the Son. John fifteen twenty six says, But when the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will what? He will bear witness about me. John 16, 4 through 15. Talking about the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. The task of the Spirit is to glorify, to commend the Son. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 1 Corinthians 2, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit's job to commend the Son. To put forth the Son. And therefore, if we are filled with the Spirit, then it becomes our job too. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, to be living infomercials, infomercials for the Son. If we are being filled with the Spirit through the Word, through meditation upon the Word, through prayer, then we will be people who long for Christian community where we exalt in and exalt Christ to one another. We remind each other constantly of who Christ is and how great our God is. That's what should be happening here. As we walk in here, we are commending, we are commercials for Jesus to one another. Isn't God great? Isn't God awesome? Isn't it amazing what Jesus has done? That should be happening here. It should be happening throughout the week as we speak to one another, commending Christ to one another. As we sing these songs, we are commending God to one another. One of my favorite texts is Psalm 145. Specifically verse 4, but I'm going to read verse 3 as well. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. That is commending God. And then it goes on to say this in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One of the main things, one of the main reasons we brought kids into the worship service is so that they can see us commending God. We want them to see people, adults, their parents saying, this God we worship is awesome. Matter of fact, he's worthy of me standing here and singing songs and singing them loud and singing them with emotion. And I want you, son, to see that. I want you to see how great he is. Don't look at me. Look at him. That's one of the driving visions behind Harbin's from the very, very get-go was that kids need to be here because one generation shall commend your works to another. I can't commend my works to my kids if he's sitting back there during worship service. 
So that will never change in Harbin's. We'll always have the children in here, no matter what. One generation will commend your works to another. I get a little pumped up about that one. We cannot do this, though, unless the Holy Spirit has the freedom to move in our hearts the way He wants to. If your sail has not been lifted high by prayer and meditation in the Word, you will not commend God to your children. I'm sorry. I don't care how long they sit beside you in here. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you will not commend Christ to your children because the Spirit's role is to make that happen in you. So don't come to the church with your sail down and say, kids, we're going somewhere. You're not going nowhere if the sail's down. Lift up the sail. Get in the Word. Pray and meditate upon the Word and let God move in your home and let God move in here and see what your children say about God after that happens. That's what I want to see in my own life and in Harbin's. If we want to grow in our faith, deepen our desire for God and and deepen our love for others, then we will be strong, spirit-filled, Christ-exalting disciples. We will be a community of faith where we make much of God to one another. But if we want to remain small believers, if we want to remain small Christians, then we will find our corner, sit by ourselves, become separationists, isolationists, closed off to others, closed off to those who might challenge us to a deeper understanding of God and make much of what we know about God instead of making much of God. Instead of making much of Him to the rest of this community. There's small Christianity, there's big Christianity, and it has nothing to do with numbers. It has everything to do with how filled we are with the Holy Spirit in a biblical way. If you want to grow, then you will be in community. If we want to grow, we will be in community with a bunch of other living infomercials. This room should be filled with living infomercials. Infomercials are the greatness of Christ and the glory of the gospel. So let me say a word here about embracing diversity within the community of faith. I really, really, really want Harbin's to be a more diverse church. Diverse racially, diverse socioeconomically, diverse generationally, diverse in regards to how people view the schooling of children, diverse in ideas on methodology, diverse theologically while being very careful and intentional about not sacrificing sound doctrine, core beliefs, or vital distinctives that make us who we are. Now, I'm not talking about diversity and unity here uh, at, the, at, at all costs. I've seen that, that's made a big enough mess in the Christian community recently. Just di- uni- unity and diversity for the sake of unity and diversity. That's not what I'm talking about here. We don't just do this at all costs. But at the same time, using spirit-enabled discernment and being led by the Word, I do not want us to become so tribal and closed off and separationist that we fail to see the way God works in those outside of our specific tribe. And we can have tribes inside the church, and we as a church can be a tribe and be closed off as well. I think the embrace of diversity within the body actually increases our ability to commend God to one another and commend and having God commended to us by others. I mean, you, you, go, to, you go to 1 Corinthians and he's talking all about body parts 
and how the body parts are all different, and that actually glorifies Christ more. You know, one of the things that, uh, I've probably mentioned this a few times, but one of the things that really stirs me and moves me is when I get opportunities, I've had opportunities to shoot two kind of documentary-style videos about church planting. One about church planting in in, in metro Atlanta, and one about church planting up in the Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point area. And I got the opportunity to go and, and just just interview several different church planters. And just to see, okay, there were some church planters that, okay, I, I, no way I'm doing what they're doing here. But as far as doctrine and theology, they weren't, they weren't bad. They were good, good churches. And then there were other churches that were like, man, that's exactly what we're trying to do at Harbin's. And then there were other churches that, okay, there were some churches I thought, well, they're, they're off the reservation. And I don't know if I'd ever have anything to do with that church. But the majority of churches were, were, were spirit-filled communities, and they were so different. They were so amazingly different. And I remember driving home from both of those shoots, just praising God and smiling and saying, God, it, just, it helps me to see how glorious you are, to see how creative you are, and how you can use different people in different areas for different tasks, but it's all still your church. And so... It helped me, I believe, to be, have God commended to me in a greater way when I could see him working in ways that are different than the way he's working here at Harbin's. And when I can see him working in my life or in your life in a different way than he's working in my life, that commends God to me. I'm not going to go to you and say, well, you know, you've got to do things the way I'm doing them. I really, you really got to, here's the way we've got our family system down. Here's the way we do Bible study. Here's how, and you need to do it just like me. I'm going to give you my system and hopefully you can start replicating it. That would be foolish, because I want to see God doing a special work in your home, and you commending God to me, and me commending God to you by what he's doing in your home. Ironically, this passage here about community and fellowship is often used to fight with one another based upon these words. These words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. My goodness, are you not tired of the worship wars? The silliest wars that we've had within the church are the worship wars, if you want to call it that. People will use these verses to argue about what type of music we should use to worship with. Instead of trying to pin down exact forms of worship, I think what Paul is aiming for here is two things. Number one, the primary means, this is awesome, the primary means we commend Christ to one another is through song. The primary means by which we commend Christ to one another is through song. Christian gatherings, therefore, are musical occasions. So music is very important. So please continue to pray for us. Because this is a big question mark over Harbin's right now. What's our future in regards to leadership in music? And it weighs heavy on me every day. Because I know how important it is. And we can put videos up and put some really well done music on video. It won't be nearly as well done as Chris, right? But it's on screen. And we can sing to that. And maybe that's what we need to do. But I'm praying that God will send us someone in the flesh... Because just like I don't like watching preachers on video, I don't really like singing worship songs on video. But hey, if we have to do it, we'll do it. But it's important, and so hopefully it's, 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 a, it's taking up a big portion of your prayer time. If it's not, I'm asking you today, make praying about the future of our worship and song a major part of your prayer time, please. Because I believe, not according to my authority, but the authority of the Apostle Paul, it is vital to the fellowship of the church. Secondly, diversity in song is good and commended here. He doesn't just say addressing one another in psalms. 
Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms probably refers to the Old Testament Psalter. Hymns were, at that time, were songs sung to eulogize deities or cultic heroes in the Christian context. They were songs sung to praise the risen king. And spiritual songs may simply refer to any songs that are not secular in nature, but aimed at God. Colossians 3 here is helpful. And I haven't done a whole extensive study on those three words, and maybe Chris has, and he can go up and talk to him a little bit more. But what are the psalms, songs, and spiritual songs? But I, I believe that one of the things that Paul's driving home is there is a diversity within your worship that should all be aimed at Christ. It's all commending Christ to one another. I think Colossians 3 here is helpful. Colossians 3 is sort of a parallel passage. Colossians, the book, is sort of parallel to Ephesians in many ways. And in Colossians 3, sort of the application portion of Colossians, Paul says some very similar things. Now, when he comes to the teaching or um, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he says the same thing. But listen to how he says it in Colossians 3, verse 16. It says this, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let me stop right there because Paul does not say be filled with the Spirit in Colossians. Instead, in Colossians he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Which to me, because these passages are so parallel, that is practically the same thing. What did I say earlier? The way we raise our sail is through prayer and meditation in the word. Let the word of God, if you want to know a definition of meditation, let it dwell in you richly. That's meditating upon the word of God. That's how the Spirit has His way. That's how He blows the wind into our sails. So verse 16 of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. There's the tie-in with wisdom, the walk of wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So in Colossians, he talks about the singing of songs to one another, he says it involves teaching and admonishing one another. So actually, what we see here is that commending Christ to one another through song is also a form of what? Teaching. Our songs are meant to teach us. That's why the lyrics are so important. The lyrics far outweigh the beat and the melody infinitely. Because they're meant to teach us. The aim of Christian singing is not entertainment, but teaching. I really wish a lot of churches would really hone in on Colossians 3. Because he says here that these songs are meant to teach. It's not, and that's, I don't think that's 90% of the churches that are meeting this morning. I don't think that's what they're getting up on the stage to do, is to teach. I think they're getting up is to give you something you enjoy. It may even have great lyrics, but the intent behind it is to have, give, let you have a fun time out there while you enjoy this concert that we're doing. It, this church has drifted so far in that direction, it really, really makes my stomach turn to see how far the church has drifted towards entertainment. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do this with excellence. I enjoy hearing good music. I really do. I mean, we've had a variety of different help this summer. Okay? Without making judgments on anybody, I've enjoyed some of them, and some of them I haven't enjoyed as much. And that's okay. I don't have to feel guilty about enjoying, oh, that was wonderful. That felt so good. That tasted so good. Don't feel guilty about that. Don't start going out and whipping yourself with thorns. Oh, I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed the music. No. Enjoy it, but realize that the main intent behind it is to teach you, to admonish you, for us to commend Christ to one another 
through song. It's so important. This is spirit-filled living. Spirit-filled Christians are part of spirit-filled communities of faith. We are filled with the Spirit by word and prayer. And then we gather with the rest of God's people, the church. And as a result, we have spirit-filled worship. Not vice versa. You don't come to the church, I'm just so drained and I just need someone to pick me up. I'm going to go to the church and get filled and so I can make it through the rest of the week. My, what have you heard a lot of times? My, my spiritual tank is empty and I just need it to be filled on Sunday so I can make it through the rest of the week. The Bible says you come filled. And you commend Christ to one another and see what God's going to do at your church. It's not vice versa. It doesn't work the other way. If you come to church empty because you haven't been in the Word in prayer, then you are doing a disservice not only to yourself, but every single other person in here. Your lack of reading your Bible and spending time in meditation, and I will say our lack, because we all fail in it to a certain degree, our lack of spending time in the Word and in prayer doesn't just affect us. It affects the whole community. Because you come to this place, we come to this place, without the ability to commend Christ to one another. And therefore we fail at walking the walk of wisdom that Paul has called us to walk. And we wonder why our churches lack power. Because in America we've got it all backwards because we're driven so much by being consumers. What am I going to get out of church today? I don't see Paul talking anything about you getting anything out of church. What I see him saying is, what are you giving today? What are you giving when you get with that rest of that community and that body of believers? I want the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want us to be sanctified. I want us to grow in grace. I want us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. I want us to work out our salvation. I want us to pursue God. I want us to be diligent. I want us to pray without ceasing. I want us to be filled with the Spirit and come and commend God to one another. We commend Christ because He's the focal point of all we do. Now next week we'll get to the second one, which is Christ-centered worship. Lest you think that our worship is just focused on us. Because he goes on to say, but we also singing songs to Jesus, to Christ, with our hearts, heartfelt worship is what should be happening as well. So we'll talk about that. So I, I believe every good church service should have a combination of songs. There are songs like, How Great Is Our God, which I believe we're going to sing here in just a few seconds, which is a song about commending God to one another. Let me tell you how great our God is. Listen to these words. And then there's other songs where we sing straight to Jesus. And we're just singing to God. And if you go look at the Psalms, you'll see it's, all, it's filled with that. Hey, here's a song commending God to others. Here's a song that's just aimed at God. That's the way the community of Christ works. But it's all focused on Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, let us commend him to you. Let us commend him to you. Let us be living infomercials. Children, adults. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, let us tell you how great He is. Let us tell you what He did. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus 
And what are the simple words from the song we sang? He came and he died and he's coming again. He died and he rose and he's coming again. It's that. That's what we're focusing on. So as we sing the song, we're going to sing in a second and talk about how great our God is. Our God is great. Our God is great because he stooped down and condescended into this world and Jesus became flesh and went all the way down that ladder to the lowest possible social position, that of a slave. He went all the way down so that we would know no one is outside of the reach of his love. Became flesh. We can't imagine how humiliating that is. I want you to think, if you went out of here today and put on rags and went and sat in the gutter to be a homeless person for a day, you would be humiliated. It would be a humiliating experience. Why is it so hard for people where they lose their jobs and different things? Because it becomes humiliating. I want you to think about how humiliating that was for God to become flesh. The distance between that is much greater than you going out and being a homeless person for an afternoon. He came all the way down. And then he became obedient, obedient to the point of death on a cross where slaves were killed. Majority of the people killed on crosses were slaves and revolutionaries. And he came as a slave and a revolutionary. And God has highly exalted him with a name that is above all names. Let us commend that Jesus to you this morning. And he says, come, 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 receive this Jesus. Come, know this Jesus. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. The name of Jesus is the only one. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. I know most of you guys in here, but I don't know your hearts you don't know Jesus this morning, then let us commend him to you as we close with song and prayer. Let's pray. God, you are great. And God, as we sing this song about your greatness to one another, help us, Lord, understand why you're great. You're great because of who you are. And you're also great because of what you've done. But even if you never did what you did, if you never saved a single human being, you're absolutely just and righteous to send all of us to an eternal punishment because of our rebellion. None of us deserve salvation. And you'd still be great. You'd still be good. You'd still be righteous. But your love overflowed in such a fashion that you, in the abundance of your mercy and your steadfast love, came To this earth, the Son lived a life as a poor, traveling teacher. Didn't come as a general on a white horse. So that we would know that all of us, every single person on this earth, can come and know you. And belong to you. And so God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that commends Christ to one another. But outside of these doors, we commend Christ to the world. 
Forgive us, Lord, for commending other things. I get excited about so many different things, and I commend things to people. And I wonder sometimes if I would just commend Christ as passionately as I commend whatever. I just wonder, Lord, if you would be using me in a much more powerful way, if your spirit would be moving in a much more powerful way in my life. So God, we ask your forgiveness of our sin. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us now sing this song, how great you are, how great is our God. We believe it. And let us sing it now. Let one generation commend your works to another. Let us commend you to one another this morning. Let us be united in faith and in joy as we sing this song. We do this all for Jesus, all for your glory. And we pray in the name and in the power of the Son, we pray in his name. Amen. Please stand if you would. Let's sing this song. Let's commend God to one another as we sing.